uh, let me ask you guys a question. We're starting off a new series today. Who is your favorite athlete? Who has a favorite athlete they want to tell people? Trevor? Messi. He's pretty cool. It's, it's been pretty wild watching him. Who else? Who else? Somebody had a hand up over here. Who's your favorite athlete? Who? Okay. What sport is that? Soccer. A lot of soccer fans. Ethan? Okay. Soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob? Who? Michael Phelps. Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey. That dude's a trip. <laughs> I listen to the, the podcast sometimes of him and his brother. Not always appropriate, but it is pretty funny. Uh, Michael Phelps, though, kind of is similar to uh, the, one, of my, one of my favorite athletes, Jessica Long. We got to meet her last year. She trained with Michael Phelps back in the day. When they were still swimming, they would train together. She was telling us about that at one point, and I was like, what? Uh, Jessica Long, actually, if you, were follow, if you follow her on social media, then you know just a few weeks ago, she won her 37th world title in swimming. Yeah, it's uh, wild. She just wins all the time. She gets in the pool, makes it look easy, even though, like, as you can see, she doesn't have uh, legs. For those of you that heard her last year at the Renew Conference when she was here, she talked about how uh, she was born in Russia and put up for adoption. She was adopted by American parents when she was very little. But uh, I think her first surgery was at like 18 months old. She had a congenital defect in her legs. And so they had to amputate her lower legs. And over the decades since then, she has had um, tons of surgeries where they have to keep adjusting or doing things. And so she's had some huge challenges. And yet she's had incredible success in swimming. And I think uh, if we were to like really think about it, you know, it's kind of crazy. If you watch one of her races uh, online and YouTube is full of Jessica Long races where she's destroying people, whether they have legs or not, uh, the race usually only lasts like seconds, right? Swimming races are not hours and hours. Some of them are longer. It depends on how long the distance is, but these races are usually pretty quick. But I think we can all agree, like Jessica Long does not wake up one morning and go, you know what? I think today I'm going to win my 37th world championship, right? Like she just doesn't decide one day on a whim that she's going to go swimming and dominate the sport globally. That actually, when she was here, she talked about like, she trains all the time. She's caught hours and hours a day. She is swimming and she's controlling what she's eating and she's controlling her activities. And it's such an incredibly disciplined life. What's wild to me is uh, when she was talking to Melissa and I before the Renew conference, when she got up and spoke to everyone, she talked about how this year she's been doing a lot of the training on her own. And she's still won the world championship a few weeks ago, right? That, that she has incredible discipline. And I think we all understand, like all of our favorite artists, uh, athletes that we just named off, Messi is not the world's greatest soccer player because he woke up one day and was like, you know, it'd be fun to do. I'm going to go try out for a soccer team, right? It's, there's a discipline 
There's a practice to it. The, their lives are marked by habits that set them up for success in the races they do. And uh, the reason I say all that is over the next few weeks in Student Quest, we're going to be doing a series called Habits, Running the Race. And kind of our theme verse for the series is in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, which says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I love when Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. See how I made it yellow? Ooh. Yeah, to draw attention. Paul's going like every step he takes is run with purpose. And the Bible is full of examples of comparing the spiritual walk, following God, with running a race. And I think it's because just like an athlete needs to be disciplined to be successful, we understand that. God is going to be successful in following God, to be effective, to do it well, it takes discipline. It doesn't just happen. Right? We, we don't just hope and then it kind of miraculously comes together and we're this incredible follower of God by accident. That it takes discipline. And, and so we're going to be looking at, over the course of a handful of weeks, spiritual disciplines needed to run a spiritual race for an eternal prize. And there's six that we're going to be looking at over the course of this series. And I'm not normally an acronym guy. I don't like acronyms. The, uh, when I first came here to be the youth pastor, the previous youth pastor loved acronyms, and he named everything with an acronym. The youth leader team, all of the meetings, everything was like F-I-L, S-N-T, T-E-C, like all these acronyms. It drove me crazy, and I, I killed all of them. I, it, to some people's great dismay, I was like, I cannot function in a world like this. This is the only acronym I like in the world. I've been using this acronym for almost 20 years to talk about spiritual disciplines because it's actually what it is, right? We're not reaching, we're not jumping through hoops to try and make this thing work. We need habits in our lives, spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits to pursue God well. And these six are six of the really big ones that I think are key. The, the H stands for having time with God, prayer time, quiet time. We're gonna talk about that today. The A is accountability with other believers, helping each other pursue God well. The B stands for Bible study and memorization. I stands for involvement in church. T stands for tithing, treasures and talents, right? Giving back to God. And then the S stands for sacraments used in worship. The two things that Jesus commanded us to do in worship, baptism and communion. So let's dive into today's having time with God. What do I mean by that? Relationships take time, don't they? Right? Like your, your good friendships, your strong friendship, friendships are mutual. There's communication happening both ways. You don't feel close to that person that you never talk to. 
or that only talks at you but never listens to you. Nobody likes a one-sided deal. The, the person that only wants to take, they want to take your time, they want to take your resources, they want to take your stuff, and when they've used you up, they move on to another person. No, a friendship, a real friendship, is a two-way street. It takes time, it takes communication, it takes getting to know each other. Like I think back to high school and some of my favorite memories from high school is sitting here now, I went to a boarding school in South America, and my favorite memories were Friday nights. We would stay up all night playing uh, the board game Risk by candlelight, because the power would go off at 9 p.m. We were in South America. We'd make, we'd get a giant pot and we'd all dump in our ramen noodles. It would just be all a mix of different ramen noodles because they all taste the same anyways. We'd make a giant pot of ramen, sit around by candlelight, a bunch of dudes playing Risk all night long, yelling at each other, having fun. But it was a lot of talking. It was a lot of getting to know each other, right? In our core, we are wired to want deep relationships. We're designed to want to know people. In fact, God designed us that way. There's only one thing that God said was not good when he created the universe and all of creation, right? Does anybody know what it was? That Adam was alone. So it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so I believe this desire that we have for deep relationships is partially satisfied through friendships, but that part of us that can sometimes be like, man, there's something else. Like, what is it that I'm missing? What's going on that's missing in my life? It's that perfect relationship with God that we're designed to have. And that relationship with God is fueled through having time with him in prayer. Luke 5:16 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One of the things, I, and we don't have time to do, I would love to do it today, but there's no way we could do it, is it, to look at every reference in the Gospels of Jesus going and praying. There's like 30 different instances described in 45 passages between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus going and taking time to pray. That he did it all of the time. Right? That Jesus, from the very beginning of his public ministry, he opened it with prayer. He, he prayed at his baptism. He prayed for 40 days in the wilderness before launching his ministry. He prayed all night before picking the 12 disciples. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane until they came to arrest him. The Gospels paint this picture of Jesus praying before every major moment, but also of Jesus just taking time every day to go pray in lonely places. He would go off by himself to take time to pray, to talk to God. And as time went on, Jesus began bringing some or sometimes even all of the disciples with him when he would go to pray. And one of my favorite verses describing this is in Luke 9, 18. It says, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And I love the idea that Jesus was praying alone with people. Right? Does anybody see the contradiction? Is like anybody else going like, how yeah, about he wasn't alone? How was he praying alone if he was with 
people, that there was something about like when Jesus prayed to God, he could be so focused. There was an intimacy there. There was a connection there between him and God that even when he was with the disciples, he could still be alone with God, which I find amazing. And the, the trippy thing is, if you really stop and think about it, right? Jesus is God. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is God. So why did God need to pray? Right? Like, like why did Jesus need to pray so much if he's God? And yet, he prioritized it so much, which tells me, man, if Jesus, who is God, and is perfect, and is power, and can do miracles, and everything... If he's making prayer such a priority, it's probably pretty important for me as well in my life. In Luke 11.1, 1, uh, there was there's this really cool moment where Jesus, the disciples have been seeing Jesus pray now for however long. They've been traveling with him. He started to bring them along. They see him praying. And and uh, it says in verse 1 of Luke 11, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Here's what's funny to me about this request of the disciple coming and asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. These were good Jewish boys, right? The 12 disciples were Jewish boys. They would have grown up going to the Jewish schools. They would have learned large sections of the Bible. They were probably around 17 years old when Jesus made them his disciples. They've been, they've been taught how to pray, right? They've been going to temple their whole life. They've been going to synagogues. They've seen people pray. And yet, what does this tell us about them asking Jesus how to pray if they've grown up knowing how to pray? It means, that, man, there was something about how Jesus prayed. There was an intimacy. There was a power. There was a connection there that these 12 guys were looking at and going, man, that, that is not what we know how to do. Like there is something going on. We want that. And so they went to Jesus and they said, hey, teach us how to pray the way you pray. Like we want that kind of connection with God. They could see this is what we're meant to have. And so it continues in Luke 11, 2 through 4. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And some of you are going to recognize this. Some of you might not. Uh, we, we sometimes call it the Lord's Prayer. And depending what version of the Bible you're reading, the people memorize it. And there's, it's also in the Gospel of Matthew. It's slightly different. So if you're ever in a church service and people start reciting it, I'm always like, which one are we going to recite here? Uh, it's very tense. But in verse 2, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And he's, he's not saying, use these exact words, right? He's saying, this is how you should do it. This is an example. This is, here's my lesson to you on how to pray to God. And he goes, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. It's a powerful example of all the pieces of prayer in this simple prayer. And there's five things. And I put them on your paper. You can take more notes if you want. But this time I went ahead and just put it on there. Because uh, I wanted to make sure everybody got it. But I think there's five things we can learn about how to pray from Jesus's example of prayer that he shows us. And the first is this. That prayer is regular. 
Luke 11.1, 1, Jesus was in a certain place praying, right? That, that we're already saying, man, Jesus had a regular pattern of prayer. This is a certain place because the disciples knew, hey, this is the place that Jesus goes to to pray. And we can look throughout the Gospels and see, man, depending on the town or the city they were in, Jesus had favorite places to pray. In fact, like how did Judas know where to find Jesus when he betrayed him? It was because Jesus's favorite place to go pray at the beginning and end of the day was the Garden of Gethsemane. So Judas knew, hey, all we need to do is wait until it's time for Jesus to pray and then I know exactly where he's going to be. Because Jesus had this pattern of prayer. Now I'm not saying, you know, get regular with prayer so somebody can betray you and get you killed, right? Owen was looking a little concerned. That's not where I'm going with that. But having a regular pattern of prayer is an incredibly important discipline. There, there have been some massive studies done on faith in young people in America over recent decades. And, and there's one in particular, they started doing it like in the 90s. They started the study and they've been tracking these young people well into their adult lives. They keep interviewing them whether they're still pursuing God or not. And uh, they found as they did this massive, massive study with all these young people, like 8% of young people are what they call religiously devoted. Like they are just committed to God. And something about that commitment holds true throughout their life. That they grow up, they go to college, they become adults, and they still continue to pursue God. And so these researchers start asking the question, what, what, are, what do these 8% have in common with each other that we can learn from as part of what's important of helping, helping future generations of young people know, hey, prioritize this because it, it'll increase the chances of you continuing to pursue and follow God and honor God. And what they found is it said that they had a habit of praying several times a week or more. In other words, the research was telling the same story the Bible does. That taking regular time to pray translates to us being able to run the race well for God. And the best part is, like my favorite part of this, this research, is that it's not intimidating, right? It wasn't like the research said, look, here's the deal. If you want to succeed, Stephanie, you've got to pray five hours a day, every day for the rest of your life. Look, I got to be honest. I'm like a pastor. I could not pray for five hours a day. It's so many hours. I, I get so distracted, you know? Like, man, if I can hold on for minutes at a time, that's pretty impressive for me, right? Because my mind is bouncing all over the place. I love that this research was like, man, just praying regular several times a week or more, home run, right? That, that making this a practice that happens a few times or more a week is key. And I love that Jesus' example wasn't intimidating either, right? It's just a few sentences. That, that part of the takeaway from this is that having a habit or a discipline of prayer is not this massive overwhelming thing. It's, it's just having regular time a few times a week, even just for a couple minutes. But that it's a regular practice of going to God, connecting to God. I think the challenge then begins like, how do you make this a habit? How do you make this a regular time? I set alarms on my phone 
for all sorts of stuff. I, I've been, there's some pills I've been taking for like 10 years. I still have to have an alarm on my phone or I forget to take the pills. Right? Like, it is totally okay to go, you know what? I'm going to set a prayer reminder on my phone. Maybe I'm going to get up a little bit earlier in the morning so I can check in with God for five minutes before I go to school. Maybe it's a few minutes at lunch break. Maybe it's a few minutes right after school. Maybe it's a few minutes at the end of the day. But finding a time of the day that works well for you. Right? And by works well, I mean like if you are not a morning person, then probably getting up a few minutes earlier is not the way to succeed at this. If you are not a night person, maybe saving the prayer time for the end of the day is not the best. Like if you're going to fall asleep every time you do it, maybe it's better to, but, but figuring out when is that time of the day that I can do this well and creating reminders for yourself, whether it's alarms on your phone or notes in your notebooks or on the mirror in your bathroom or wherever it is, but creating some reminders for yourself so that you can create this habit of finding a time to begin to build a habit. So that's the when. Let's talk about the how. How do we pray? The first thing is, prayer is praise. Look how Jesus opened his prayer. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Jesus opened with praise. Right, that every prayer, even if it's just one line or two lines, should be about praising God. And part of the reason for this is that it shifts our focus away from the things that might be scaring us or worrying us down here to, that's right, God is powerful. Right, that I can just praise God for who he is, praise you God because you are so powerful, you have created everything. Maybe I'm praising God for something specific. God, thank you so much for how you worked this week in my friend's life, or thank you so much for how you provided for this need, or, you know, but whatever it is, praising God, giving credit to God, because it shifts our focus away from ourselves to the one that actually has the power over everything. It's also one of the easiest things to forget to do, isn't it? Like, how many of us have that temptation of when we pray, I just want to jump right to the asking, God, please help me out with this. God, please give me the knowledge that I did not study for this test so that I will not have to show my parents a grade that is not going to go well for me. God, I need a divine miracle right now. Or at least sit me next to somebody who... No, don't cheat. That's not good. Right? Like, we're really good at the asking, but part of what Jesus is reminding us is, hey, prayer is not just about asking for stuff. God is not like this super Santa Claus in the sky that we're giving a want list to. God is somebody that we're having a relationship with. And so part of having this relationship with God is, God is praising and recognizing, God, you are amazing. Prayer is also repentance. Luke 11, 4a, look at what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's a couple things I find fascinating about this, right? Uh, first off, once you're saved, once you've invited Jesus into your life, you're saved, right? Like there's no going back on that. Write down Romans 8, 38 and 39. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It lists all of the ways that nothing can take God away from you. It doesn't matter how bad you screw up, how much you, like if you skip church, there isn't some point 
where you're going to do something and God be like, wow, never mind. I'm, I'm thinking that bad. Like he's going to the bad place for that one. Right? That once you're saved, there's no way you can lose your salvation. You cannot screw that up. So why do we need to keep apologizing to God? Because the reality is, as much as I'm forgiven, as much as I'm saved, I'm still not perfect. Right? I'm still messing up. I'm still making mistakes. And I need to apologize to the people that I'm making mistakes against. And that includes God. That I need to recognize, hey God, like this is not, I am not honoring you. I want to do better. Please forgive me for the ways I've messed up. It's also fascinating to me that he connects it to how we show forgiveness to other people. Right? That there's this concept of God has forgiven every single thing I have ever sinned in my entire life. And I'm a lot older than you, so I've committed a lot more sins than all of you. Trevor looked shocked. My own son was like, yeah, no, he's messed up, guys. Uh, I'm 48 years old. Do you know how much sinning you can do in 48 years? A lot. And all of that sin, God knows like, everything I've ever done. Some of the stuff that nobody else knows. He knows all of the sinful things I've thought or said when I was alone. And he's forgiven me of all of that. And there's some passages in the Bible that kind of ask that question of, man, if God has forgiven all of that, like if all of those ways that I've offended him, God can forgive and accept me for, what right do I have to hold it against Melissa that she said one hurtful thing to me one time. Right? That it's almost kind of like, man, so you're telling me that you think it's okay for God to forgive you for a million things, but you can't forgive this person for one thing? It's kind of like God's going, maybe you don't understand how forgiveness works then. That, that God is going, hey, in the same way I've forgiven you, you need to forgive others. Now, I always feel like I need to clarify that forgiveness doesn't always mean you just let the person come right back into your life and everything's back to the way it was, right? If somebody's abusive or dangerous or violent, like sometimes you can forgive someone but still be wise in whether or not you allow them back into your life. In those kind of situations, it's usually probably good to talk to some other people to get some advice on how to handle it. But the guy that called you a name in school or, or the person that like tripped you or did something stupid or whatever, like God's going, hey man, as much as you've forgiven me, Lord, please help me to forgive others as well. Also, prayer is asking. Remember, that's the part we're good at. Uh, Luke 11, 3 and 4, Jesus says, give us each day the food we need and don't let us yield to temptation. And here's what I think is really cool about what Jesus is modeling there. There's two types of things Jesus is asking for in his prayer, isn't there? He's asking for basic needs, right? Like basic needs, it can be food, it can be to do well in school, it can be to do well in sports, it can be to do, you know, whatever the situation is going on in your neighborhood, right? There's a whole, rel if it's something you are concerned about, pray about it. God wants to hear about it. They, you are not going to pray something where God is like, seriously, you're going to waste my time with that? Now, God is so much better 
than any of us. Right? He doesn't react. So, so anything that we're concerned about, we can ask God about. But this second one, don't let us yield to temptation, that's a more intangible thing, right? That's essentially Jesus going, hey, ask for wisdom to know how to interact in different situations. It's going, God, please give me what I need, but also give me wisdom for how I interact with people at school. God, give me wisdom for how I interact with my teammates. God, give me wisdom for how I handle a situation where I might have an opportunity to do something wrong, but I want to honor you. And that would be the easy thing, right? That, that Jesus is going, hey, ask for the things you need that are tangible and intangible. Last one. Prayer is listening. Jesus, in another moment, said to the people, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Right, that Jesus is going, hey, my sheep know my voice because they hear me. That they've listened to Jesus. And uh, years ago, I, I heard a story about somebody who visited some shepherds out in the Middle East. And they were all talking, the four of them were talking, and uh, all of their sheep were just mixing in this field together. And my friend was like, how are they ever going to separate their sheep? Do they mark them? Do they line them up and be like, all right, that one's mine. I'll arm wrestle you for that one. No, at the end of the conversation, at the end of the day, when they were going to head their different ways, the four sheep, each shepherds, each went to a different corner of the field, yelled for their sheep, and then their sheep just went to the right person. That one time I was at a guy's house and he had some sheep and some llamas and some donkeys and all these different animals. And he gave me a bucket of food. He gave, it was like it was feeding time. And they were way down at the end of this hill. It was like twice the length of this gym away. And uh, he was like, hey, try to call the animals. Say, you know, tell them it's time to eat. Tell them whatever you want. So I'm yelling. My brother and I were both yelling. We're little kids. We were like making fools of ourselves. They even put their heads up. Like nothing. They ignored us. I've, met, I've never been so thoroughly ignored in my life as I was in that moment. And then the guy who owned the animals, all he did was this. He goes, hey! All their heads whipped up. They looked up, saw him standing there with a bucket and came running. Right? Because they knew his voice. They knew this guy's got the hookup. And Jesus is going, hey, part of knowing God is not just talking at God all the time. It's also listening to God. And there's a couple ways that we listen. Because part of you are like, God doesn't just show up and talk to people like he did back in Bible times. So how am I supposed to listen to an invisible dude that I can't hear? There's a couple ways. One is through reading the Bible, right? That has God's word. It's literally called God's word. That, that when Jesus came to earth, he was called the word becomes flesh in John chapter 1. That, that we can hear God through reading his word, but we can also hear God by sitting in silence. That when we take time to pray, set aside a couple minutes to just sit there and be silent. To let God begin to move in your heart and in your conscience and let things bubble up to the surface to think about. And, and the reality is like we don't do silence very well in our culture today, right? That we use, we have our earbuds in all the time. That we're constantly doing stuff. I can't I've said this before, I can't even wait in line at the grocery store 
for 30 seconds. There will be one person in front of me buying five items and I can't stand there and just wait. I have to pull out my phone and I'm going to check the news or play a game. Or We're not good at just sitting still in the moment. But the Bible tells us, hey, in the silence, being quiet is part of how we hear God work in our hearts and in our souls. And the beautiful thing is, that is a muscle that we can exercise and learn to develop. And so what I want to challenge you guys to do this week, if prayer is not a habit for you, this is the best time to start to make it a habit. It's the beginning of the school year where we're getting into new routines and finding five minutes a day, three or four days this week, right? Just a few days a week. That means if you miss a day, you have not failed at building this habit. Set an alarm on a device or plan a time, write down your paper. I think the best time for me to try is such and such time. And set aside five minutes and pray for a few of those minutes, but leave a couple minutes to just sit there and be silent with your eyes closed, reflecting on what you prayed, but just kind of going, hey God, please help me to be silent. Please help me to try and listen to you. God, please help me to hear you. Got it? So, let's start to try to build these habits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you give us this incredible example for prayer through Jesus and through the Lord's prayer. And God, we ask that you'd help us this week to be regular, to, to praise you, to ask for forgiveness to make our requests and to also to be able to listen, to be able to hear you uh, in what it is that you want to teach us and show us. I ask that you'd help all of these kids as they're back in school and, and starting back up. God, we ask that this year would be an incredible year for you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.